Thank you. Let's take our Bibles this morning to the book of Philippians chapter 1. And again, let me say, it is great to be home. And it's great to feel the Spirit of God in your hearts and minds and voices. And uh, there's no place like home. We're very thankful to be back. And thankful that we made it back in one piece. Uh, We had some harrowing experiences, as you can imagine. Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 The last time we preached in Philippians, we talked about how it is possible to preach Christ, the true gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, out of a wrong motive. It is possible to endeavor to minister and to be a preacher so that you can excel another preacher. Competition exists in Christianity. It's all over the place. And he says in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife. He didn't say they preached the false gospel. He said they preached Christ and they did it from envy and strife. But then thank God and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, we understand Paul here is not talking about being born again. He's not saying that I'm hoping to one day be born again because I'm in prison and other people are preaching Christ out of envy and strife. Salvation in the Bible is not always the new birth. It always means deliverance. Deliverance from death, in some cases. Deliverance from the old nature. Deliverance from Egypt. It's always deliverance. Salvation is deliverance. He said, I know that this shall turn to my salvation. What is that? The more the gospel is preached, the more pressure is going to be put on Rome to get me out of jail. Because as Jesus Christ rises in prominence in popular culture, people are going to say, why are we putting people in jail who believe on such a great God-man? So this shall turn to my salvation. And we notice that he says, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Those are two things that Paul was relying on. Paul often asked people to pray for him because he did not believe that he could function in his life without the prayers of God's people. It's very important for us to realize there are two important elements of prayer here. One, I should be praying for other, other believers. And two, I should recognize that I can't function as a Christian without that prayer. You see how it pulls us together? There are no lone rangers in the Christian ministry. God does not expect you to survive with you and your Bible under your arm. He constantly pushes us towards other people. And here, Paul, the apostle, who, by the way, would build on no man's foundation. In fact, when he got to Rome, people didn't know him, didn't didn't care to know him. And Epaphroditus, 
uh, or rather uh, Onesiphorus, when he went to Rome, nobody told him where Paul was. He had to search him out very diligently and find him. Why? Paul was not a popular guy in Rome. He was in prison. And there were a lot of people who said he ought to be in prison because he's a loudmouth. So a lot of Christians said about him. And so you understand, Paul is, Paul is saying here, I'm going to get out of prison. I'm going to have salvation, deliverance from this current trial that I'm in. But it's going to take two things. Number one, it's going to be prayer, your prayer. I'm asking you to pray for me. I'm asking you to pray for me. That's a humbling thing to do. But we ought to be willing to humble ourselves in that way. And then he said this, and oh, what a, what a glorious benefit this is. And the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. How, much, how many supplies does he have? Oh, he's fully stocked. He has all the supply you need to make it through what you're going through. You know what the, what the Lord said? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. It is possible for you to get through what you're going through right now if you will rely on the prayers of God's people. Solicit them, expect them, ask for them. And two, rely on the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He will be praying for you. And his prayers get answered. His prayers are not always your prayers. Right? He's not always praying the same thing. He may not, you might be saying, God, take this off of me. The Holy Spirit's saying, Lord, don't listen to him. He's an idiot. Don't take it off of him. I'll tell you what's better. Keep it on him. Let me build him through this. You, you might say, Lord, if I could just get out of this current scenario, I shouldn't be. The Lord might say, well, it, yeah, maybe it should never have happened. Maybe you shouldn't be in it. But I can tell you this. I, I am a miracle worker. I can take things that no one else could use, and not only can I use them, I will, I will make your identity based on that thing for the rest of your life. The Lord's amazing. He's a miracle worker. And so Paul said, I know that even people preach Christ of envy and strife, some of goodwill. I don't care because Christ is preached, and I want him to be preached, and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to find joy in the fact that Jesus Christ is being made known to, the, to a world that needs him. And by the way, I know that that's going to one day contribute to my deliverance. And he says, and it, the, the, the sentence continues in verse 20, which is the focus of our message today. Proverbs, uh, Proverbs, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body. Let me read that again. But that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Here's the target that Paul had. Christ is going to be magnified in my body. That's his target. That's his goal. That is his desire. It is his earnest expectation and his hope. That Christ would be magnified in his body. He expects it. Just like when my wife says, oh, I can stop by so-and-so on the way home and get you something to eat. My earnest expectation begins to lock in. And when she shows up, I mean, I love my wife and all, but where's that food you talked about? It's my earnest expectation. 
Do you have children that, that tell you months in advance that their birthday is coming and that they have something that they really, really want? Right? Or do you have a, a, a spouse that celebrates a birthday month? Amen? Any, any testimonies out here this morning? Somehow or other, you know, it becomes this festival of the, you know, that we all have to celebrate. And we gladly do. Amen? We joyfully do. Earnest expectation. It's getting your hopes. What do we say? We get our hopes up. By the way, that's where your hope should be directed, is up. He said, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, he said, I really want this and I expect it and, and I, I am going to get it. Just that phrase alone, we ought to apply that to our life and put it, use it as, a, as kind of a, a litmus test. Maybe as a filter over, is there, what, what is your earnest expectation and your hope? What is it that you really want? If we're not careful, we allow all the little tiny, um, uh, what are those, what are those little, um, fish that eat dead flesh? There's, down in South America, there's a, there's a, there's a, a certain kind of fish that you can put your feet in the water. And those little fish, like piranhas, but not quite as vicious. And they will, they will come up and they will literally eat the dead skin off of your feet. It's like a little scrub, like a little time at the spa with a little fish. And I thought about that. You know, if we're not careful, our earnest expectation gets eaten by a bunch of little tiny piranhas that just, we don't really want anything, but we want everything at the same time. We don't really have an overarching desire. Paul did. He said, this is what I want. I'm in prison, but I tell you one thing I want, and it's something I am going to get. Hope in the Bible is not a wish. Hope is an anchor. Hope is an anchor for the soul. So hope says, this is going to happen. I am going to get that. Do you have anything like that in your life? Paul did. Paul said, my earnest expectation. What was it? That Christ would be magnified. What is, the, what, is, what is it to magnify? It is to exalt something, to make it great. So when you purchase something, you, you are magnifying the producer of that product. When you say, I'm going to pin something on Pinterest, you are magnifying the creator, the uploader of, of that thing. When you watch a video online, you are magnifying the creator or the uploader of that video. Why? Because what do we say about people on YouTube? How many subscribers do they have? What does that mean? How much have they been magnified in the eyes of the world? So a person with 13 subscribers, maybe like myself, um, is not very magnified. Why? People don't want to exalt me. Amen? And, and I think some of you should subscribe to me because <laughs> when you buy fast food, you magnify that restaurant. And don't tell me how you hate it. If you're buying it, you're supporting them. And never eat at McDonald's. And you make a stand. Make sure all your friends know you never eat at McDonald's except you eat at McDonald's. Right? Uh, when, you, when you watch television, how many, you know, for years and years and years, they've talked about this. Now, are televisions watching us? Are they, listen, they don't need a camera in your home. They have ways of figuring out. Nielsen figured this out decades ago. They know what you watch. They don't, they're not, they don't see you watching it. Maybe some people do nowadays, maybe some companies, but they don't need that. They don't need a camera in your home. They know. They do surveys. They know what people watch. And when people watch something, they magnify 
They magnify that particular program or show. To magnify it is to exalt it, to make it great. Now, when our Bible was translated, uh, magnifying glasses were not really even a thing per se. The word magnify precedes all of that. But in our day and time, we have two major forms of, of magnification that we, what, that we use. And it helps us maybe to understand. For instance, there's microscopic magnification, a microscope. What does it do? It doesn't make something bigger. It helps you to see the details of what is there. Things that you cannot see with the natural eye, now you can see. There's also telescopic magnification. What is that? It is making that which is distant appear near. So microscopic, telescopic magnification. It's an illustration of a way that we would uh, be able to understand maybe today. The idea is that, that, that he wants Christ to be magnified. Not to be made larger. That you can't make... Christ any bigger than he is, he fills the heaven and earth. He created the heaven and the earth. So it's not that we make him bigger, it's that we can see details about him. When we are, when Christ is magnified in our body, he is made greater to other people. They can see more about Christ than they would with the natural eye because we have the spirit of Christ in us and we exemplify the characteristics of Jesus Christ. So people can look at us and they can see Christ in us. So they know more about Jesus Christ. By the way, that's why you should get to work on time. You should finish your reports. You should do your job. You should do everything you can. You don't have to be a martyr. You don't have to do everybody else's jobs in order to be a good testimony at work. But you ought to have a good testimony at work. Why? Because you want people to see Jesus Christ in you. It's as if Jesus Christ works with you at Jeep. He's there on the line. You see him. He's there at the fast food restaurant. How would he act in your job? That's how you and I should act. And what does that do? That magnifies Christ. He was great before you ever worked at that place. But now people at that place know how great he is because he's been magnified by you. And Paul said, that's what I want to do. I want to magnify Christ in my body. Or you could use the telescope idea. You want to bring a distant Savior near to a lost sinner. You want someone who knows nothing about Jesus Christ to be brought face-to-face with Jesus Christ. Christian, make sure you want to be brought face-to-face with Jesus Christ before you try to tell other people. But once you are close to Christ, you will have in you a desire to bring others close to Christ. Why? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't tell us to come to heaven. He came down to earth and said, I'll take you to heaven. You see the difference? It's easy for us sometimes to think it's it's all church and Christianity is all about coming to a building and keep me in a safe place. And that's absolutely biblical. We need to be together. There's something God does in the assembling of the brethren that nothing else can, can, can hope to imitate. However, it does not take away the necessity of us being out there magnifying Jesus Christ in our body. For just for a side note, Paul was unable to attend church services. He was in prison. He was incarcerated. How could he get to church? 
he couldn't. But even in those cases where he wished he could and he couldn't, he still magnified Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go in our lives, we should be seeking to magnify Christ. So we are looking to make an unknown Christ known to a lost world. We are looking to bring a distant Savior near to a lost sinner. So let me ask you this question. If you could magnify anything in your life, what would it be? Take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's look at at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Boy, it's good to be back home, I'm telling you. Stop preaching to my my wife and kids. Preach to somebody else. They responded to no altar calls whatsoever. And believe me, we sang just as I am many times. All right, enough jokes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. He says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and in your spirit, which are God's. That's how most believers read it. Why? My body is my own. Now, they would never say this explicitly, imperatively, and straightforwardly to God, but that's how they live their lives. My body is mine. It's like one of my boys said to the others when they were just kids. He says, your thoughts is not my thoughts. My thoughts is mine. My body is mine. Now, I'm just, the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because God brings it up. Other than that, you can just flush it. It doesn't matter. But Paul said, I'm praying that, God, that Christ will be magnified in my body. And here, he said, you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are, plural, both of them are God's. What does that look like? Well, a lot of the confusion of Christianity in the 21st century is caused by believers who are looking to magnify their own desires, to gratify their lusts of their own bodies. Romans chapter 1. Here's the thing. It, 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 it doesn't matter how many rules that you're given. Let me ask you this question. We're going to shave real close for a minute, and then we're going to back off, and everything's going to be fine. You ready? Is what you're wearing going to cause Christ to be magnified in the eyes of those who are looking at you? Now, now the, the, the reason why I say that is because that should be something that every believer, man and woman, confront. Why? Because it's a big part of our body, what we put on. And what should I be looking at? I, I, I'm, looking, I'm looking to fight. You tell me what's in the Bible, I'll tell you what's not in the Bible. We'll go at it. We'll go up. Listen, it's not about what you wear or choose not to wear. The ultimate thing, Paul said, I want Christ to be magnified in my body. In my body. Uh, I could wear a tattoo and still go to heaven. Amen. Some of you have tattoos and you're on your way to heaven. I don't think tattoos are explicitly commanded in Scripture. I don't think it's something that God's looking for people to do. I think it's an influence of pagan culture, and it just seeps in. But at the same time, uh, I'm not going to freak out about somebody that has a tattoo. You know what the ultimate thing is this? 
Is what I'm doing with my body causing Christ to be magnified? That's the question. I could spike my hair. What little there is of it, I could spike it. And I could paint it neon green. Could I still go to heaven? Right. The question is, would I be magnifying Christ with neon spiked hair? Now, maybe you could say, and if you're, if you, if you are a 21st century carnal apologist, you have a way to prove that you could magnify Christ with neon spiked hair. I submit to your authority. I am sure that I'm very, very facetious because I'm a second generation Christian. I know all the ways, right? But ultimately, we get down to it. Can't we just admit that a lot of the things that we do is because we want to be considered cool by the world? It's not because we want to magnify Jesus Christ. It's what we do is we say, well, I really, really want to do it. And I could glorify Jesus by doing it. Well, what's the caboose and what's the locomotive here? What's the ultimate desire that you have? If you had to choose, I'm not saying you do in every case. If you had to choose between being accepted by people and considered cool or glorifying Jesus Christ, which would you do? Okay. I'm not saying God is going to make you all the time. I'm just saying, I, I'm not saying you're not cool. I'm saying, okay, whatever you want to do. But can you and are you willing to glorify Jesus Christ even if people looked at you and, and said, you're not cool? You're, you're not in step. Hey, I, I thought the Lord was trying to focus on, on the spiritual. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He wants us to glorify God in our body. Why? Because that is the building in which the Spirit of God lives. And that building does not belong to you or to me. It belongs to God. By the way, it doesn't belong to the church either. It doesn't belong to the pastor. Some people would be very happy if I got up and gave a, a strict, stringent list of rules for everyone to follow. The problem is, how am I supposed to enforce that? A greater question is, does God expect that of the pastor? The answer is no. You know what, the God, what God expects of the pastor? To tell you that you have the Spirit of God and that the Spirit of God desires, and by the way, deserves to control what you do in your body. Now, you may draw a different line than I do. I may draw a different line than you. I'm quite certain both of us look down our nose at one another. Amen? Ultimately, what's that? It's all human carnality. What Paul said, I want Christ to be magnified in my body. Whether I'm alive or dead, I don't give a rip. I want Jesus Christ to be made greater in this world. So if he tells me, can't do that, can't go there, can't watch that, can't listen to that, can't wear that, no big deal. Doesn't bother me. You know, at the end of the day, if all you want to do is fight to get what you want, why pretend that Jesus Christ is in charge of anything? Just go do what you want. You're already doing it anyhow. But, but, but you can't come, and, you can't come and, and, and hack the Bible and say, Jesus Christ has no expectations for your life. That's a lie. That's not true. The difference is, here's where people get confused. They think, that's right. I go to a church where we always do the right things. You mean you have a list of rules that you follow to the T? Sounds a lot like Pharisees. 
Pharisees had a list of rules. They followed everything to the T. Guess what? When Jesus Christ came, they said, we, don't, we will not have this man to rule over us. Why? We're ruling over ourselves quite well, thank you. It applies to liberal and it applies to conservative. Both people want to run their own lives if we're not careful. We say, I have my own list of rules and regulations. Paul said, no, no, I don't need any. I don't. He said, what things were gained to me, those I kind of lost. Believe me, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a Hebrew. I was the strictest sect of the Pharisees. I knew how to do it. But I just, I, I don't want that. I want Jesus Christ to run my life. Not I want to feel and say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's what a lot of people think. If I just say Jesus a hundred times in a row, man, it sounds like vain repetitions to me. It's not about feeling Jesus. It's about submitting yourself to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. Why? You're bought with a price. He owns you, and so he has a right. Now, if you get upset at another believer who says, well, I think you ought to do this. I had somebody just recently uh, say they were asking to look to purchase some music. From the, the, the we, we sell you know minimal amount of music on our family's website, and somebody was saying, "I want to do this, uh, buy some music." And they said, "I don't." They said, uh, "We don't use debit or credit cards. It's against our biblical convictions." And I thought, "Well, okay. I don't know what to tell you. We could probably do, you know, Pony Express or something. We could get the you know the money to you, whatever." And uh, you know, I was kind of laughing about. It. I thought, you know, here's someone who says this is my biblical conviction that I will not use this. So what do I do? You answer for yourself to God. If that's a conviction that you have, I'm not going to denigrate it. I'm not going to laugh at it. Why? You have a conscience before God that I do not have, and I cannot control yours, and I best not try to weaken it. Now, if it goes contrary to the word of God, I have a duty to stand up and say that's not correct according to Scripture. But if it's something that you believe God wants you to do, then you should do that. Church, this is where churches get, get in, in all kinds of problems. They all decide we're all going to do the same thing, or they decide we're all going to fight. And the Lord says, listen, get rid of all that and focus on magnifying Jesus Christ in your body. Now, maybe you don't magnify him the way I think you should, but guess what? You answer to him. You may look at me and say, well, I don't think you honor Jesus Christ the way you should, but I answer to him. The important thing is not to say, I answer to God, so back off. The important thing is to say, well, you may be right, but wow, Lord, what do you think? Not push back against the brethren. Look up to God and say, Lord, am I magnifying you in my body? Is what I am doing, is it causing people to magnify Jesus Christ? By the way, I don't have a list of the dirtiest words that people use in America that are forbidden in the Bible. Are you following me? The dirty words that people use are not explicitly forbidden in the Bible. So what that means, I can say whatever I want. Are you guys with me? Are are you hearing what I'm saying? Because here's here's what we say. Well, I, I can do whatever. Hold on. Does my language cause people to see Jesus Christ more clearly than before they met me? That is the litmus test. It's not just, well, I don't say bad, dirty words. Do you magnify Jesus Christ with your words? That's a different story, isn't it? I'm not under the law. I don't have a list of things that 
I have to do or not do, but if my heart is right with God, I want to live in such a way that other people look at Jesus Christ as greater because they come in contact with me. I want people to see him more clearly. So that's the target that Paul had. Okay, everybody can breathe sigh of relief. Hopefully you made it through. Amen. Now let's move on to what's necessary to reach that target. Tenacity. Tenacity. Look what he says there, verse number 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, you have to care enough about Christ that magnifying him is your earnest expectation and hope. There's a lot of things that we build up in our mind. We think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And uh, we work towards those things and we hope for them and we expect that they're going to be great. And then when the reality happens, the reality doesn't match the expectations. You ever have a, a situation like that? Like for some of you, it was your wedding. The reality didn't ma- or it was your spouse after the wedding. The reality didn't match the expectation. Now, for me, the reality exceeded the expectation. And I'm not being facetious. Uh, and I think that's the blessing of the Lord. It maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. But, but, but many times in our lives, those expectations just, for instance, someone gets into office. Our expectations. And they say, we're going to turn this country around. Right? In some cases, there are major changes that are made. But ultimately, what does it come down? Nobody ever says, I love that guy. He never made a mistake. We all say, well, he's a good guy. I mean, he's not perfect. Right? Why? Because the expectations don't always match the reality. But Paul is saying here, I have an expectation. And by the way, the expectation that he had was that he was going to be delivered and that he was going to be he was going to be able to magnify Jesus Christ. He said, you know what's interesting about some people? You get closer to them and you realize their flaws and you think, wow, they're not as great as I thought they were. You ever meet somebody and you think, man, that, that's not, I never thought. I, what, I had a chance very quickly uh, to meet Herschel Walker one time. And the man was muscled, well built. Anybody remember Herschel Walker running back? And uh, I saw him, he's like, Herschel Walker! I got a picture with him. But I was surprised at how short he was. I thought he was this giant, one of the sons of, the, of God in the Genesis 6. And, and he was much more muscle than I am. But that's not really saying a whole lot, is it? And he was short. I was like, Herschel, come on, man. <laughs> what Expectation and reality is not the same. But Paul said, I have an earnest expectation. What's awesome about Jesus Christ is that the closer you get to him, the better he is. The more you put him under the magnifying glass, the more amazed you are by him. The more you get involved in his work, the more you read his word and trust his spirit, the more excited you are about seeing him. He had an earnest expectation. He he had to hang in there. By the way, we have the earnest of the spirit as well. And it's something that I don't totally own yet, but I am going to own it. Maybe you want to be a millionaire by the time you're 30. If you're going to get there, you're going to have to have earnest, earnest expectation. You are going to have to want it, and you're going to have to make it happen. And some of you are going to do it. Why? Because of inflation. <laughs> it's going to be a lot easier to make a million dollars. But some of you are going to be very tenacious. You have an earnest expectation, 
and you're going to make it happen. You know, you'll never, ever, he said, in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness. He said, I have a, I have a great desire, and my great desire is going to include no shame. I am not going to be ashamed because I want to magnify Jesus Christ. And, if, and by the way, if you're going to magnify Christ, you're going to have to replace your shame with courage, with boldness. If someone can make you ashamed of Jesus Christ, you will not be able to magnify him in your body. And by the way, that's where the rubber meets the road. So you're out there among lost people, and before you know it, the Holy Spirit has tapped you on the shoulder and said, wouldn't you like to talk to them about the, the most wonderful man you ever met? Wouldn't you like to give them the gospel? But maybe you're not dressed to the nines. Maybe your, your kids are not behaving like you'd like. Maybe you're not having a good day. And so you're shamed into saying nothing about Jesus Christ. Maybe someone looks at you and says, are you one of those weird Bible thumpers? And you're thinking, no, I'm not a weird Bible thumper. I'm actually cooler than you because I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. But you can't say that. It's impolite. And so you say nothing. You know what Paul's prayer was? Guys, please pray for me to have boldness. The Apostle Paul made it a regular habit to ask people to pray that he would be bold. That would be a great prayer request for us. When's the last time you talked to someone about Jesus Christ? That you mentioned the death, the burial, and resurrection. By the way, those are historical facts that we believe as Christians. They're not just in theological tomes that get dusty up on the shelf. It's the only reason why you came out at 11 a.m. and you're going to stay until 3. It's because of Jesus Christ. That, that we believe that he died and that he was buried and then he rose again the third day. Who does that? Jesus Christ did that. The only one who ever died and rose again under his own power, never to die again. That's what we believe. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. But with all boldness, we should own it. Now, sometimes it, when you're a, a man, you might say, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. Is that just being, you know, full of testosterone? You just want to... No, it's not pushing people down. It's not getting in people's face and proving you're right. It's not about you being magnified. It's about Christ being magnified. It's about letting people know that you love and serve a risen Savior, and you want them to know about it. So sometimes you're going to have to gird up your loins. Well, I want to be a good testimony. You want to hide. You're a coward. We're all cowards. God, give me boldness. God, help me to stand for you and not to be ashamed. Isn't it true that Paul had to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that, that asketh. You know what? We need to pray, God, give me boldness. Not to go out and yell at people, but to magnify Jesus Christ. To live for him. You see, if you're not careful, the devil will tell you the only way for you to be bold is to become a heaven's angel and ride a Harley. Get in people's face and I don't give a rip what you think. You're going to die and split hell. Now listen, God uses some people like that. Whether you like it or not, hipster. How many, how many had somebody get in their face 
before you got saved as a Christian. A Christian got in your face. Okay. Now, most people, that's not how they're saved. Most people are not saved by somebody getting in their grill and yelling at them. But some people are. Maybe not you, but thank God, God cares even about the tough people. Right? But, but most of us, how do we do it? We say, well, because the devil will tell you, because you're not that guy that you can't actually witness. Witnessing is not your gift. I'm sorry, that's not my spiritual gift. There is no spiritual gift called witnessing. God expects that if you're in his family, you're going to tell people about him. You're going to want, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because got, I got saved because of the gospel of Christ. And I want you to know Jesus Christ. You know, the best thing for you to do is to pray, God, help me to have boldness to proclaim your message in the way you want to use me to proclaim it. Here's what young Christians think. Well, I want to do it like they do it. Well, you're not them. So what we say is, if I can't do it like they do it, I'm not going to do it at all. You're wrong on both counts. God doesn't want you to do it like they do it, but God does want you to do it. How does God want you to stand up for Christ in your workplace? Could it be he wants you to write a little card with three or four words, a verse of scripture, and put it in a prominent place that people can see? Could it be that God wants you to wear a t-shirt? Could it be that God wants you to open your Bible in a public setting and read it or bow your head for your meal? What is it that God wants you to do so that you're not ashamed but have boldness? Does God want you to go on the street and preach? Don't, by the way, don't say this, Lord, I would never. Can you really say to God, I would never? Can you really say that? Now, I'm not saying that if you're a child of God, you, you better get out there on the street. But I am saying this, if God wanted you to, would you be willing? See, ultimately, it comes down to this. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm convinced that you want me to do. I will do it even if I'm scared to death. God, give me boldness and courage to do what I ought to do because I'm following my Savior. Okay, we need to get off that. This is not flying well. Let's go. Okay. Here's another thing about tenacity. According to my earnest expectation of my hope, you have to care enough about Christ to magnify him as your earnest expectation. That's what you really want in your life. Some of you really want to just live happy and just have fun. We all want to be happy and have fun. But as believers, our earnest expectation and our hope should be that Christ would be magnified in our body, whether by life or by death. The tenacity involves having boldness and not being ashamed. Paul's focus was not getting out of prison. It was magnifying Christ whether he lived or died. You have to be willing to live or die for Jesus Christ. We all like the old stories of missionaries and how they went over there. We just don't want to be those missionaries. Now, I, don't, I, I know things are easier today than they used to be, and God doesn't ask people to stay over and die, but many people did stay over in, in foreign countries and die. They said of the, the missionary James Calvert when he went to, uh, to Fiji, which was populated by cannibals, the captain of the ship that was taking him there tried to dissuade him. He said, listen, you're going to risk your life and, 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 and all those that go with you, when you live with people like that, they're savages. And Calvert said to him, we died before we came here. Could you say that in your life? 
Maybe you never get the life of your dreams. But what if Christ could be magnified in your less than stellar life? Are you dead to that? Are you dead to your dreams and your desires and and what you insist on for your happiness? Paul said, whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, as long as Jesus Christ's popularity and reputation goes up, I'm good with it. That's the tenacity that we need. The tenacity that says, it doesn't matter what happens to me, it matters what happens to the name of Jesus Christ. But I want you to see, lastly here this morning, the trajectory. When he said, I want Jesus Christ to be magnified, notice in verse 20, he said, but that with all boldness, as always, so now. As always, so now also. You have to put together a trajectory of serving Christ if you're going to magnify him. It's one thing to leave a service where you're pumped up and you're excited and you're like, man, that was good. Bible conference is amazing. It's wonderful, but it only comes once a year. So really, if you're waiting on experiences and feelings and Bible conferences scratches a certain itch that can never be fulfilled any other way, then you're really without hope for 51 weeks of the year. You follow what I'm saying? Here, here, here's the thing. If you're waiting for a song to come on the radio that, that, that really, I'm not saying God can't use it. If you're waiting for a real friend that really encourages you in order to serve God, I'm not saying God doesn't use friends. If you're looking for a church where people support you and pray with you, which churches ought to do, but if you're waiting for those things, it's possible that you don't serve God unless you have those things. You know what Paul was doing? Paul was saying, I'm ready to die or to live, and I got a track record that proves that. Prisons, beatings, I've been in the sea, I've been in the wilderness, and perils of false brethren. I've had all fastings often. A night and the day I've been in the deep. He said, all this stuff has happened to me, and guess what? Like, I tried to glorify Christ back there. I'm going to glorify Christ right now where I am. And the reason I say that is for some of you who are Maybe milestone Christians. I just got to get up to that next milestone and then I can really serve God. Once I get my house paid off, once we get a new car, once the kids are older, we can just get them potty trained. By the way, it never stops, so eventually you have to kick them out of the house. You're right, it never stops. But once I get my health in order, once I get to retirement, that, I mean, if I can just make it through this shift, they kill me on this shift. I understand there's adjustments that are needed to be made. And I'm, I thank God for, for new chapters of our lives. But Paul said, even like I've always been doing, I'm going to continue doing it right now. If you're going to serve God, you better get busy doing it now and just keep doing it. Just keep following the Lord. He said, as always, so now also. We're going to close in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And I'll show you an illustration of this. Daniel chapter 3. <laughs> the three Hebrew children. My brother yesterday showed me a coffee shop. It said, Master roasted, never burnt, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bean to go coffee. Maybe the best ever. I don't know. <laughs> it's terrible. 
Master roasted, never burnt. Amen? So that's not what he's talking about here. All right. I know Hebrews and all that. Okay. Look at Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. This is not something we're wondering or questioning about. This is not something we have to go home and, quote, pray about. Praying about whether God wants me to disobey the will of God. We're not careful. To, this, doesn't, this is shoot from the hip. Ask me, I tell you right now. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, if what be so? If we get thrown into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Notice the salvation here that God would provide is not salvation from hell. It's salvation from the burning fiery furnace. That's deliverance. He's able to do it, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Earnest expectation of my hope. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The three Hebrew children here had an earnest expectation that they would glorify God in their bodies. They, they didn't care about what the king said about the great golden image that was set up. They didn't care about the, 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 the God and the music that all the cool kids were listening to. They didn't care about it. They said, I'm going to glorify God in my body. And I'm going to challenge you, young people. You want to stand out for Christ? You don't have to really do a whole bunch of stuff to stand out for Christ. You just have to stop doing a couple things here or there, and it would be like, wow, that kid doesn't do this. Now, I don't think that will carry you very far. I'm just saying that will make you stand out. Everybody else bowed down. These three guys, what did they do? They didn't have to go into any effort at all. They just stood. Everybody else was standing. They bowed. The three just kept standing. Sometimes it takes more work to not do something than it does to do something. You see, the world wants to conform you to their image. Conform to this world. Just stand. Man, where's the Bible-believing young people that are going to stand for the Word of God and don't have to go down the, the, the river of nonsense that continues to flow in our country? Just stand. Stand. What do you believe? Do you know Jesus Christ? Then say that. Have boldness. Don't, 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 don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. He wasn't ashamed of you. He died naked on a cross for you and I. We don't have to be ashamed of Christ. Hey, you might be the only one in your age group that stands for Jesus Christ. I can tell you this, no matter what age group you're in, you are in a group that everybody does basically similar things. And if you're not careful, that culture of the world will have you doing things that won't help you magnify Jesus Christ. So stand. They were willing to stand and boldly stand alone in the midst of a sea of ungodly people. And they were willing to live or, if necessary, die to serve their God. And watch what God does as a result of their tenacity. Look at verse 25. This pagan king answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Christ was magnified 
in the fire. In the furnace of their affliction, the Son of God was magnified. Now, New Bibles change that to a son of the gods because they theorize, how could a pagan king know that there was such a thing as the Son of God? Well, he could have read the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, who wrote, what is his name and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. That was, that was written 300 years before Nebuchadnezzar was born. So maybe he didn't know the name, but he said the former, the fourth is like the Son of God. Jesus Christ himself was manifested in the fire because three people said, I won't be conformed to this world. I'm praying that God will give me the boldness to stand. Though hundreds and thousands of people are all bowing down, I will not bow down. And whether it be by life or by death, I do not care. I desire to magnify the Son of God, Jesus Christ, with my body. I'm here for you, God. I'm not here for myself. I'm not here for social media. I'm not here for finances. I'm not here for vacations. I'm not here for family. I'm not here for anything else. I'm here to magnify the Son of God. And Lord, would you help me give me the courage to do it? Not just feel it, but to do it. How can you make Christ great in your life? Well, you can magnify him in the unbelieving world. He's minimized, he's mocked, he's laughed at, he's used as a curse word. You can magnify him. The next time someone says his name in a derogatory fashion, you can say, I love Jesus Christ. Now that's going to be easier said than done. Why? Because you're going to feel ashamed. Well, he doesn't mean anything by it. If they said something about your wife, about your husband, and used your loved one's name as a curse word, would you say anything? You see, it's easier sometimes to think that you love Jesus Christ, but to magnify him in the midst of shame is a challenge for us. Glorify him in the presence of those who are blind to his glory. Show his grace to those who have never seen it or known it. A question for you is this. Who or what are you magnifying in your life? What do you desire more of? More time. More emphasis. More skill. Where is it that you've put the the emphasis of magnification in your life? Do you care enough about Christ that you could say, my earnest expectation and my hope is, what I want more than anything, is for Jesus Christ to be magnified in my body. We ought to be able to say with Mary, my soul doth magnify the Lord. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? Thank you for listening. We've gone long today. The altar is open. And my desire is to be out of the way so that Christ can be magnified in your heart.